Well, a couple years back, I had to get my old Mustang fixed up. And, you know, part of it kind of surprised me. The car was built in 1970, and yet I had both a frame and a unibody section of it. They had to fix the frame and floor pan, and I found out the frame doesn't go all the way down the vehicle. This, this seemed kind of weird. So I started looking into it, and yeah, there were changes in the world as we were transitioning away from our original way of building vehicles into the new age. We're at that moment yet again in history where we're about to change the way we build vehicles with gigacasting. But really, how did it all start? Where did we come from? And where are we going? Today, Autolux is going to take a look at frame, unibody, skateboard, and now gigacasting. Welcome back to the Autolux Podcast. I am your host, as always, the doctor to the automotive industry, Mr. Everett J, coming to you from our main website at autolux.net. If you haven't been there, stop by, check it out. It's pretty cool. They got some uh, Corporate Links websites you might want to check out. And head on over to the rated page to read some of our ratings and reviews, our world-renowned rating system, where every year we rate over 600 vehicles globally on exterior designs and our end-of-the-year reviews. Find it at the Autolux.net website. The Autolux podcast is brought to you by Ecom Entertainment Group and distributed by Podbeam.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email over at email at Autolux.net. And if you're looking for some other information from Everett J, check out some of the podcasts that we've been on. We do have links to a few of the podcasts that we've been on. We've been either guests on or had guests on our own at the Autolux.net website. Stop by, check it out, and listen to a few other different podcasts. So like I said in the beginning, my Mustang was a little weird because it kind of had blended of two different worlds mixed into it. I originally thought vehicles all the way up until almost the 80s were all solid frame design vehicles. But when you start really going back to it, things did change. When you go back to the original vehicles, they were all one solid unit. The original horseless carriage, where carriages were essentially put together in one solid unit with wheel attachments added onto them. That's so that if they need to, they can exchange that for both skis. But as we moved into more of a moving assembly line, thank you to Oldsmobile for bringing that into the world. Yes, Oldsmobile is the one who brought the moving assembly line into the automobile industry. Ford just revolutionized the way we did it and essentially brought more parts quicker, faster, and cheaper. But his methodology behind it was to take an entire body completely manufactured and put it on top of a rail frame. Now why was this? With our original vehicles being constructed as complete solid units and now we're putting them into you know two, three, four, even five separate pieces. Why were we exchanging it? Why were we breaking our vehicle apart? Well, two reasons. One, costs. And two, maintenance. Having one solid unit, if you get damage on it, one thing Henry Ford noticed while he was building his original carriage, where if I had damage to it or had to replace anything, the whole thing was one solid unit. So essentially, the second you got a dent in it, it was garbage. So I'm kind of familiar about what's going on in the world today. Yeah, we're, we're going to get there a little later in this story. So he had to figure out a faster way of building his vehicles. Well, he saw the design for the moving assembly line with Oldsmobile and how they managed to move vehicles along at a steady pace to build their vehicles. It wasn't to the scale that Ford did it and they still had some movability within their factory floors. It wasn't a standing assembly line like Henry Ford had made it. But using a rail frame, he could build a frame in one shop 
attach the wheels to it, and use the frame as his full moving assembly to build his vehicle on top of. Before they had robots or conveyors, he was essentially using his vehicle to build itself. In the initial stages, they did have overhead cranes where they stamped out the pieces to build the frame and piece them together, but once those were pieced together, they moved down the line. In the coach build side, he built the bodies out of complete panels, fused together, and dropped right on top of his rail frame system. This also made it easier for him to drop his engine into the front and cover the engine up with both its radiator and its covering. Simplified, easy way of building vehicles, and you could build mass quantities of them in a quick amount of time and use the actual vehicle itself to build itself. It's a very ingenious way of building vehicles. Henry Ford had cracked the code of making vehicles more applicable to its daily ownership. Before this time, it was only owned by the rich boy because they were like Rolls Royces are built today, handcrafted to every fine detail. Hell, one of the only car companies in existence today that still builds their vehicles the old hand-drawn way is Morgan Automotive. They still actually use sanded ash as their backbone frame. They put it on top of a steel chassis and cover it with bent steel paneling, which they bent out by hand, and in a couple cases, some rollers. Very old-fashioned, very intricate way of building vehicles. That's how we built them in the very beginning of times. Before Henry Ford moved the moving assembly line and used the vehicle itself to build them on the frame. They were all built as these massive pieces combined together. It took forever and it cost a fortune because if you gotta pay those people, those people are working day in and day out. We're moving assembly line along a massive frame with a standard coach body being dropped on top of it. You can have people at one select location have the vehicle pull in front of them and assemble it all together. Well, this became the tried and true way of building vehicles all the way up until the late 30s in 1923 with the Lancia Lamba. But really Really, the unibody market really didn't start taking off until 1941 with the release of Nash Motors 600. Unibody became an easier way to mold vehicles together by affixing multiple pieces onto a standard formed body that could be created with presses. This made it a lot easier and even cheaper than hand forming pieces. It also made it so that by the 1950s, we were able to build amazing vehicles with amazing designs. Without the unibody construction, all vehicles were set to a standard ladder frame with a coach build drop right on top of it. Frame vehicles were still in use even all the way up until the 70s and even into today they are still highly utilized in both pickup trucks and dedicated utility vehicles. But why did they lose favor with the automobile industry? Well, having giant castings, being able to stamp out lighter weight materials which cost less and with technology moving along, brand new forming stations were allowed to create pieces of the vehicle. So instead of one coach build side and one frame side, you can now have one massive of stamping section of your automobile manufacturing plant. All those stamp pieces get piled on top of each other and brought to one main area where they're welded completely together in one dedicated shop. From there, the vehicle is now transferred onto a moving conveyor belt and flows through the automobile manufacturing plant to have everything else installed on it. Hoods, tires, fenders, seats, electronics. It's all done after. So first comes forming, then stamping, then welding. Where before, we had our welding station, but the welding station was 
only in select areas. And the welding station essentially fused pieces together, and that was it. The ladder frame had its welding station to create the entire frame. The coach build side had its entire welding station to build the coach. Everything else was all just fitted together with nuts and bolts. Now, we're starting to realize that vehicles are taking abuse, and we need to start changing. With more abuse, we're starting to realize nuts and bolts ain't going to hold this thing together. We need to create a more dedicated assembly system. We need to start welding things completely together. And while stamping out massive sections of the vehicle and welding them all together, we were managing to create a stronger body. Now, at the beginning of the unibody system, the unibody systems were built to replace the original coachworks. That original coachworks had moved aside for more of the forming and stamping locations to make all of the pieces. So instead of people sitting by Anvil's hand forming each and every individual piece to put together one solid coach built body, they were now being stamped out in mass quantities, shipped over to the main welding center, put all together, and then this was being carried and dropped onto its dedicated frame. But why were we still using frames? Well, it made it easier for the drive shafts. You gotta remember at this point in time, we were still using a lot more rear wheel drive vehicles and all engines go front to rear. We didn't get into the transverse mounted until the Mini Cooper. The Mini Cooper is one of the vehicles that helped change the automotive landscape by flipping the engine the opposite direction and only utilizing the front wheels to power the vehicle. We realized we can create a smaller format within the unibody construction. And by having the front tires controlling everything, we didn't have a use for an oversized heavy frame. The frames created a vehicle that was a lot more rigid. So when you got in accidents, it took the brunt of the force. If you smash a full-size pickup truck these days into a small little car, the truck will survive a lot better than the sedan. And this is because of the full frame aspect. There's a reason why police use the full frame Crown Victoria for so long. And it was so well respected from cab companies all over the world because it is easier to fix a frame after a high speed pursuit than fuse back together new panels for a unibody. Unibodies were cheaper and easier to build than the full frame coach build vehicles of before. But the unibody construction placed on top of a frame made it a lot more viable option for everybody out there. Our vehicles were still strong, but safety wasn't big. As we moved into the 60s, we started to realize we needed more safety features and cars were big, heavy, and powerful. Accidents were killing people left and right. And one little company from Sweden came out with this three-point harness system, which they licensed out to the world for free, the seatbelt. Volvo showed us that we needed safety in our vehicles. Our unibody construction made the shell of the vehicle a lot sturdier than the original coach built versions. But the frames were made so they didn't twist or bend as easily. And the unfortunate thing is when you run a full frame vehicle into another one, the frames tend to crumple a lot less likely than a front impact zone that you have in a unibody design. This was all being learned during the 60s. So by the 70s, they started realizing that if we take the full frames out of it, move the drive system to the front of the vehicle so we don't have to have a full drive shaft running down the vehicle, we can gain interior space and we can reduce weight. And then comes the 70s. Everybody is building these massive vehicles. Huge, gas-guzzling pigs built on solid frame designs. They're heavy and big to carry around, and they're not as safe as you want them to be. Sure, they're safer than they were 20 years previous, but they're not that 
much better. An oil embargo puts the brakes on weight. Without cheap oil and people running out, car companies are scrambling to find a solution to this. On the other side of the world, in Japan, they have already noticed this issue. So it's a high density of population in a small area. Japan had moved into unibody designs and moved away from using rear-wheel drive vehicles and solid frames long before the Americans had. This was due to the fact that they needed to save fuel. It wasn't as easy for them to get fuel as it was for the Americans. The Americans had their own oil in the ground. And then all of a sudden, when they started drying up, they went to the Middle East. But when the oil embargo hit them, they had no other form. They were screwed. Japan already had this in its sights and said to itself, we need to reduce our fuel consumption in all of our vehicles. After seeing how little fuel the Mini Cooper had used during the course of its lifetime, they thought to themselves, if we put a transverse mounted motor into the front of small city going vehicles and only create a fully fused unibody system, we can save on hundreds of pounds. We can move our miles per gallon from 11 to 18. We can sip fuel as opposed to burning it. Well, it wasn't until the oil embargo that the Americans finally realized that there was a future in unibody design. And by the 1980s, full-frame vehicles were disappearing. Only the full-size cars on the roads were utilizing them. And the ones purpose-built for police services across the country were the ones built on solid frames. You still found sports cars and small boutique builders using the full-frame versions. And for that main reason, was only due to cost. It was still cheaper to build a shell and drop it on a frame than to build a complete casting of every single part you need to build to create your entire frame body and weld it together. So small little companies that were starting out, like DeLorean, had to utilize a frame. It saved them money. Entering the world of the sports cars, you didn't have to worry about sipping fuel. But if you wanted to enter the car ring, you needed to. And by the 80s, the Americans had taken notice of what the Japanese had done and started building front-wheel drive unibody vehicles to save on weight. We were a little behind in the development, but we were gaining traction fast. Each one of the big three had teamed up with a Japanese counterpart to learn interest from them and how to do this properly. We were moving into the unibody age of vehicles. And by the 90s, even full-size vehicles had made the switch over to front-wheel drive, fully unibody construction vehicles. The world was changing, and our vehicles were changing too. But unibody was also pushed due to safety factors and design. In the 80s, we found out we needed to create massive plastic bumpers for brand new restrictions of the front end. The bumper would take most of the impact of the vehicle. But when we started moving into unibody, companies started to realize that they can actually use the full engine compartment and the trunk storage of vehicles as the full crumple zone, creating the most rigid centrifuge for passenger compartment. The strongest part of a vehicle became the center of it. And by doing that, they opened up the world of designs, which allowed vehicles like the Dodge and Trap to appear before us. The second generation Intrepid showcased to the world that you can do anything with design as long as the front and rear take all of the impact. Integrating the bumpers right into its own design got rid of those horrible plastic body cladding and bumper extensions. Where steel bumpers were once used in the past, the plastic bumpers of the 80s, we are now fully integrating bumpers front and rear into the design of the vehicles, all thanks to unibody construction. We can make skinnier vehicles, longer vehicles. We can stretch it out into any shape we 
want. The interior space isn't crowded by a central shaft system going to its rear because it's all front wheel drive. Unibody was here and it was taking the automotive world to the next level and it was allowing designers to create anything they could dream of. Where the 80s showed us two box designs can be tapped out very quickly, the 90s showed us that gelatinous blob shapes can be formed into anything. Play-Doh can be made into any form you really want it to be and that is where Unibody had taken us. This concept would go on for the next 30 years until a small car company from California was picked up after the sale of the purchasing founders PayPal company. Elon Musk decided to take over the Tesla project to try and spearhead a brand new movement into electric vehicles. Hell this has already been done with the GM EV1 but the GM EV1 was nickel hydride batteries in an electric car centered around a unibody construction. Everybody was already starting to look at electric vehicles and hydrogen figuring that they can actually make a full skateboard system for its power unit if you went fully electric. Tesla was starting to prove that that was a viable option. Lithium ion batteries originally used for laptops were now being used to power the new Tesla Roadster and soon enough the Model S. Whereas a unibody product would be dropped on top of a skateboard power system we were now going back to a similar beginning where the shell was being dropped onto the frame. One of the last vehicles to use an actual body on frame was the Ford Crown Vic and the Mercury Grand Marquis. We're taking one little step back from the Tesla story for this one little key point in the frame rise and fall. The reason why the Crown Vic lasted so long as a police and cab vehicle is that when police got in a high speed pursuit and they use the front push guards to take out the speeding vehicle, that would twist a bit of the frame. It put stress on the frame of the vehicle. Well, police love the Crown Vic for the one main purpose that if you had a high speed pursuit in the morning, by the next morning that Crown Vic was back on the road. They can bring these things in, straighten the frame out, and send the vehicle back out on the road the next day. Where a unibody vehicle, after it's been damaged in a high speed pursuit, has to go into the shop for nearly two weeks, getting completely rebuilt and reinforced. Police vehicles out of unibody construction similar to that of the Dodge Chargers and Ford Tauruses have to be reinforced, where the full frame vehicle of the Crown Victoria only had to be straightened out and you could send it right back out. Police love that because it saved them time and money. Unfortunately, no automobile company has realized that and nobody has gotten back into it. But with skateboard technology and the new Teslas, this is something that's becoming a tried and true method. A skateboard underpinning. Battery pack rides underneath the vehicle, which opens up more interior space above it. You can create a fully flat floor. No bumps, no nothing. You can have more storage space in the front and rear because now you don't have an engine. A vehicle can be formed to any shape you want it to be. As long as the design of the exterior panels of the unibody system that sits on top of it can fit on top of that pre-existing skateboard platform, you can design it to be anything. A similar concept to what Henry Ford did with the Model T. But that wasn't enough for Elon Musk. Tesla had proven that skateboard technology for battery electric vehicles was a mainstay in the industry. This is great, this is amazing, but he thought there's gotta be another way to reduce our costs. Taking a page from Lancia, they went back and took a look at the original unibody systems to see how they were done, figuring that if they made their castings even bigger, they can cast and create mass molds for the vehicles. Instead of having the size 
sides, being filled in by the center bracing, being added on with the front and rears, they can now cast the entire side of a vehicle. On top of that, they're now looking at creating vehicles built out of three separate casts. One for the front, designed for your crumple. One for the back, for storage and your added crumple. And the center, being cast in one solid piece, it reduces your time on fabrication and stamping. Reducing the time it takes to make a vehicle. Giga casting is the new age of unibody construction. And it's showing to us that skateboard technology was very similar to frames. You can put any top you want on top of the frame as long as it fits. Where with the brand new giga casting system, you can now cast these as anything you want. And the power system only has to have a design aspect to be able to fit into. With batteries becoming more dense and smaller, we can fit them into different areas. Where before our power systems went underneath either the front, the mid, or the rear, our new power units can come at each four of the wheels, with the main power source being centered underneath the passenger compartment. It can literally be created and installed right into the floor of these brand new Giga castings. They come out, the battery system goes in, and the next thing you all have to do is put the outer shell on the vehicle. But that is where Giga casting gets scary. Because as we learned with unibody vehicles, from our changeover from the Crown Vic to the Ford Taurus, it takes a lot more bodywork to fix a unibody than it does a full frame vehicle. So by moving away from the skateboard technology and now into the giga casting, are we essentially setting ourselves up for a throwaway society of vehicles? Hell, we ran through this back in the 90s and early 2000s. Hell, the 80s had throwaway vehicles with the original K-Car and Caravans when they started costing you even more money, you just got rid of it because it was cheaper to throw it away than it was to buy a new. Giga castings may be that step that reduces the costs and makes electric vehicles more widely available to everyone. But unfortunately, they could pose the similar problems that unibody construction vehicles also had. Gotta remember, if you get an accident, not every accident is a total write-off for a vehicle. A dent on a casting that big can cost a lot more to fix than a dent in a side panel. So as we've seen, the automobile industry has changed multiple times, where we have essentially reverted back to the very beginning of the automobile industry with Giga Casting, one massive unit to create a vehicle, where the original horseless carriage was just one dedicated unit. We've gone back to the beginning. It's cheaper and easier to do it, but essentially are we setting ourselves up for failure in the future? That could be an issue, where skateboard technology did make it a lot easier for us to be interchangeable and for repairs. The evolution of our frame technology for vehicles has evolved from its very beginning and is still evolving today. After giga casting, what do we see for the future of the automobile industry? Well, giga casting may work, but one thing that we know that nobody has done except once was plastic body paneling. And I know we're in a society where we're moving away from plastic, but what about molded metal? Something that's easily repairable as opposed to something that's got to be cut out and refit. Once we figure out the maintenance aspect and how to create something that is more easily fixable even after the fact it's been created and still cost us a cheap amount of money we will not reach the pinnacle of automotive production of history we are close but we are not yet there
So if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment about it. And while you're on your site, just uh, click that little like button at the bottom. If you're, if you're on the autolooks.net website, sign up for our email. We'll send you all the updates for when the new podcasts come out or even website updates when you want to learn about a new car company coming in or a new review from the autolooks.net website. And after you've liked us, share us with your friends, family, and everyone else in the world and get them thinking about what is the next format for frame technology for vehicles. How are we going to build our car in the future take a think and uh, come up with some answers hell if you want to tell us about some answers send us an email over at email at autolux.net and we'll set up an interview for you you want to talk to people and tell them about the automobile industry as well autolux is looking to get into the interviewing world if you wish to be interviewed send us an email at email at autolux.net and then after you've done all that remember again to stop by the website check at the corporate links website and read some of our reviews all from the autolux.net website the Autolux Podcast is brought to you by Ecom Entertainment Group and distributed by Podbeam.com. The Autolux Podcast is hosted by the one and only doctor to the automotive industry, Mr. Everett Jane. If you'd like to get in touch with them, send them an email over at email at autolux.net. So for myself, Everett Jay, the Autolux.net website, strap yourself in for this one amazing ride that frames are going to bring us on.